Coming up on the Keto Camp Podcast, we bring back the amazing Cynthia Thurlow. One of the most destructive concepts that I myself used to tell patients and many of my colleagues still do is that you need to eat for meal frequency to stoke your metabolism, to keep your blood sugar stable. And what we've learned and recognized is that we're much better off not evoking an insulin response throughout the day. It should be you eat a meal, you evoke an insulin response, insulin comes back down, your body goes on humming along, utilizing those fat stores for energy. You eat one more meal, maybe you have two meals or three meals during the day. The rest of the time, your insulin levels are nice and flat. What people react to when they're saying, I'm hypoglycemic, I get dizzy, I get hangry, their blood sugar is not properly regulated. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I wanna thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, thank you for pressing play today. Hope you are having an incredible day so far. I am excited to bring back my friend, Cynthia Thurlow. She's been on the podcast three times before, episode 313, episode 266, and episode 153. We'll put links for all those down below if you haven't listened to them. Today's episode, we dive deep into her brand new book titled Intermittent Fasting Transformation, the 45-day program for women to lose stubborn weight, improve hormonal health, and slow aging. Now, the, co- the conversation is mostly surrounding women today, cycling women, perimenopausal women, postmenopausal women. However, if you're a guy, don't hit stop. It's important to understand hormonal health, the hormonal health of females out there, because I know that you have a relationship with a woman, whether it's your wife, your girlfriend, your friend, or colleague, your coworker. And it's important to understand hormonal health when it comes to women, because if you could understand them better, you could have a better relationship with them. Today's episode is great because her book is incredible, by the way. This book is going to be released on March 15th, which is about a week from today's release of this episode. And you could pre-order it right now. And I highly recommend you pre-order. It's going to be available on paperback, Kindle, and Audible. She's reading the Audible. We're going to drop links for all the pre-order links down below. And we're going to discuss four bad dogmas that she has learned as a nurse practitioner for over 20 years, like calories in versus calories out, grazing throughout the day, and other ones that I'm not going to reveal just yet. We go over these dogmas and we debunk them. We also get into the conversation on how fasting could help turn white fat, beige, and then eventually into brown fat. What's the difference between white fat and brown fat? We're going to get into that. The unexpected gifts of fasting, the freedom that it creates in your life. We'll also get into the three 
master hormones. Cortisol, insulin, and oxytocin. We also get into the signs of low oxytocin, and many people might be experiencing low oxytocin symptoms and what to do about it. The phases of cycling. So if you're a menstrual a woman who has a menstrual cycle and you are doing fasting, we're going to break down week by week how to do it the right way. And then we get into how to do it if you're going through perimenopause and then how to do fasting if you are in the stages of postmenopause. We also get into an amazing conversation on why aging should be looked at as a beautiful process. You're going to love this. We get into supplements for successful fasting and a few myths surrounding intermittent fasting. So sit back, enjoy the conversation with Cynthia Thurlow. And before I bring her on, I want to get to the Apple Podcast rating and review. This is a five-star review from Physician TN. Best health podcast. I've listened to a lot of keto and health podcasts lately, and this is by far the most straightforward and useful one I've found. It's scientific, but relatable and practical. Ben's enthusiasm is also inspiring. Thank you so much, Physician TN. I uh, hope you're doing great in Tennessee. Uh, I'm so grateful you're listening to the show and, and really enjoying my enthusiasm, which I make sure I bring on every episode. If you have not left the Keto Camp Podcast, a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening to, please do so right now. It's the lifeline for our show and for our show to get into some more hands. So please take a moment here to hit pause and leave a quick rating and review. And hey, maybe I'll read your rating and review in the next episode and give you a shout out. Before I bring Cynthia Thurlow, I just want to get to the app. Before I bring on Cynthia, let's get to today's episode sponsor. I always say structure trumps intention. You could have all the best intentions in the world, but if you don't have the structure in place, it's going to be very difficult to get the amazing keto and fasting results that you want. If you are on the go traveling and you don't want to think about what can you eat to help you feel satisfied and to help you continue getting results on your keto journey, for me, my structure when I'm on the go, when I'm traveling, and when I want to have something nearby that's a healthy snack, my go-to is Paleo Valley's Beef Sticks. Paleo Valley beef sticks are the perfect gut-friendly, clean protein snack for on-the-go. And if you have children, this is one of the best things to give your kids. These beef sticks are 100% grass-fed and finished by farmers right here in the United States. They contain naturally occurring probiotics, which helps increase the diversity in your gut. It contains organic spices. It has high concentrations of omega-3 fatty acids. Elevated levels of conjugated linoleic acid, which we know is an antioxidant and also could enhance your body's ability to burn fat. It contains vitamins and minerals, elevated concentrations of glutathione, which is your body's master antioxidant, and it's good for the environment. They have flavors that range from original to garlic summer sausage, regular summer sausage, jalapeno, teriyaki, and they also have turkey sticks available as well. They taste so good that I usually go through three or four, and I think I might set the record for eating almost 10 Paleo Valley beef sticks. Maybe somebody out there has eaten more than me in one sitting. You know, me and my fiance, Natasha, we're always fighting over these beef sticks in our house. We go into the pantry and I hear her unwrapping it and I'm like, hey, are you eating one of my beef sticks? <laughs> they are delicious. And since you are a avid listener of the Keto Camp Podcast, we worked out an exclusive deal for you to get 15% off your entire order of Paleo Valley products. All you need to do is head to paleovalley.com and use the coupon code KETOCAMP15 
at checkout for 15% off your entire order. That is KetoCamp15 at checkout. We'll also drop a link down below in the show notes. Okay, let's talk all about fasting with Cynthia Thurlow. Cynthia Thurlow is a nurse practitioner. She has been one for over 20 years. She's considered an intermittent fasting and nutrition expert all across the world. She's been on TV shows. She has two TEDx talks. One of them has over 10 million views. She is passionate about helping women find wellness through the healing power of nutrition and fasting. She has an amazing podcast, which I recommend everybody go listen to, called The Everyday Wellness Podcast. And we're going to dive deep into her brand new book, The Intermittent Fasting Transformation. Here is the wonderful Cynthia Thurlow. Cynthia Thurlow, welcome back to the Keto Camp Podcast. It is an honor and a privilege to be back with you, my friend, and your wonderful audience. Uh, my audience loves you. And this is actually the fourth time that you've been on the show. <laughs> is uh, that a record? It's uh, almost a record. Uh, Dr. Pompa, I believe, is five times and, and one other person, Dr. John Laurence. But you're, you're right behind them. And you'll probably pass them very soon. You'll probably come back soon. <laughs> I'm, I'm quite honored. It's always a pleasure to connect with your community. And, and as you know, my community equally loves uh, your message and your positivity and your warmth. And so it's, I'm grateful for the connection and grateful for the opportunity to share good information with your community. I'm grateful too. We always have some fun collaborations. Both of our audience love when we get together. So it's it's a win for me and you and for those listening and watching on YouTube today. You have a new book coming out. It's called The Intermittent Fasting Transformation, the 45-day program for women to lose stubborn weight, improve hormonal health, and slow aging. I want all that, even though I'm not a woman, by the way. <laughs> Your book comes out on March 15th. This episode is uh, a week before uh, however, you can go pre-order it and we'll talk all about your book and how you could pre-order it. But let's get into some of the things because I have, I read the book and I got everything earmarked. I want to start with this IF45 plan that you call it. Why did you decide to come up with a 45-day plan and what exactly is it in a nutshell? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the irony is my my second TED Talk went viral in 2019 and when that happened, as you can imagine, there were a lot of people looking to me to help guide them through intermittent fasting. And this was a response to a demand uh, for a program. And so my team and I scrambled to put one together. And initially we thought it should be 60 days, meaning it should take 60 days for someone to get through a program. And, and we found that 60 days was a little too long. 30 days was not enough. And so 45 seemed to be the perfect way to get people, if they weren't already fasting, uh, allow them to become fat adapted and really develop the strategies for their success along, along that path. And so this is really three years of work in a book. Uh, and so IF45 really began out of need. And so, yeah, so March of 2019 was the talk. And then uh, May of 2019 is when things, my whole life changed and my whole business and trajectory changed. And so this has really been a labor of love because I, I genuinely want women to have a blueprint for success so that they can integrate a strategy that you and I both embrace, but one that we know has such a profound ripple effect, especially given the... Uh, metabolic inflexibility of most uh, westernized adults. Um, you know, we look at statistics from 
even 2018, which was four years ago, pre-pandemic. And you know, that UNC study was 88.2% of the population. I'm sure it's it's an even larger percentage now that is metabolically inflexible. So I feel like there's no time that is better than now to introduce this concept to this entire you know community and help them get healthier. Yeah, amen to that. And I agree. I think that, that status is much higher right now. And your story is amazing. I mean, you've shared it before. So for those who didn't listen to the previous episodes I had with Cynthia, it's episode 153 episode 313 and episode 266. We'll, we'll link both, all three of those down below. I want to focus the conversation on your book. And I want to start with the four bad dogmas, right? You talk about the four bad dogmas. And I fell trapped into these four dogmas, which is what a lot of the people in the health and fitness industry are sharing to this day, which I believe, and I think you agree, does people a huge disservice. So Let's see if you remember what those four bad dogmas are in the book. <laughs> if not, I could I could pull it up for you here. Yeah. So I, I think the most important one is that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And I started that talk off with that exact statement. And if we look back to what people were doing before the processed food industry, breakfast was a real meal. It was protein and healthy fats and people were active all day long. They weren't sitting at a desk. And what breakfast has evolved into is glorified dessert, Pop-Tarts, cereal, orange juice, um, you know, sugary sweetened beverages. I mean, there's just, it goes on and on and on. Breakfast has turned into dessert and it's one of the worst ways to start your day. If you're going to have, uh, if your first meal of the day, it should be protein and some healthy fats. So that's the first kind of misconception that I think is important for people to wrap their heads around. Also really reinforces why Fasting is the direction to go and you know, allow your body to burn off stored sources of energy before you start jumping into a sugar-sweetened beverage, oatmeal, mm-hmm. um, breakfast bars, cereal, et cetera, which, you know, think about it. The average person sits down and has probably 150 grams of carbohydrates. There's no fiber in what they're eating. There's no protein. There's probably a bunch of seed oils, if there's any fats at all. And they wonder why an hour and a half, two hours later, they're hungry. Their energy is slumped off. They want to take a nap. They're grumpy. They can't lose weight. And so that's that's the first dogma that I think is really important to identify that, you know, let's challenge conventional wisdom and let's kind of get rid of this cognitive dissonance that, you know, a lot of people get angry when you talk about taking away their breakfast. They do. Yeah, they they do. And you, and you said you don't have to necessarily skip breakfast if you choose to have it. You just said it, protein and fat. So what would be some examples of a, a quality breakfast? Yeah, I, I think starting with eggs, you know, eggs are such an easy, you could prepare things ahead, even if you have deviled eggs, hard boiled eggs. I'm a huge fan of eggs, bacon and avocado. That seems to be a very satiating option but it could even be leftovers from the night before. I have a 16 year old who really doesn't like breakfast food. And oftentimes he's eating a bowl of bison chili with, he's an athlete, eats some rice in the morning. He's very athletic, burns a lot of calories. But even if you just had bison ragu from the night before, had a piece of steak or a piece of chicken or a piece of fish with some vegetables, those are great ways to start your day. It doesn't have to be something that's in a box, something that's, you know, got, uh, you know, 50 grams of carbohydrate in it, that's going to do nothing more than dysregulate your blood sugar. And, you know, the other piece of it is there, there's nothing wrong with, you know, breaking your fast at nine or 10 o'clock in the morning and, and having your next meal later in the afternoon. I think changing things up is a really great way to, you know, keep your body flexible. I know you talk a lot about flexibility and, and that's one of the you know main tenets of intermittent fasting, 
but recognizing that you want to start your day off right. And that includes not sitting down with a sugary breakfast, but bacon and eggs, leftovers from the night before, always a great option. And then kind of leaning into what you feel like eating. It doesn't have to be a big meal. It could be a cup of bone broth. It could be, uh, you know, maybe you're having a, a protein shake with, you know, 40 grams of protein and a protein powder if you're on the go. And I'm completely a realist and I'm never going to be that person who says, you know, there's something wrong with consuming protein shakes. You want to be smart about it. You want something that's low glycemic, something that's heavy on protein, that's got some healthy fats. It's going to keep you satiated and full. That's really the purpose of, uh, you know, protein is making sure you're satiated so that your hunger hormones tell your bot, your brain to stop eating. It's time to stop eating. It's time to get on with your day. Yeah. And protein is, is essential. And I know you're a big believer in protein at all of your meals, enough protein at all of your meals. The next dogma that you busted in the book, it's something that you felt trapped to when you were unhealthy and going through your challenges, the calories in versus calories out approach. Let's, let's uh, just quickly debunk that one. Yeah. So when we talk about calories, I mean, it's just a measure of energy and our bodies recognize protein, fat, and carbohydrates. I'm not to suggest that there's, there isn't some value in having a conversation about calories, but that's not what our body recognizes. And I know someone that we both embrace and, and support is Dr. Jason Fung. And he talks about this very reductionistic methodology that people are so fixated on calories, but what they really need to be concerned about is the choices of macronutrients that we consume, which you know either buffer or raise insulin. And that is what will drive weight gain. And so I remind people, stop counting calories, start counting your carbohydrates, start being conscientious about your protein intake, start being conscientious about the quality of fats that you're consuming, get that satiety signals shut down so that you're not encouraging your body to continue eating and to worry a whole lot less about the calorie myth. I think it's really done us a tremendous disservice, especially women who are fixated on the scale. They're fixated on counting calories. In fact, I don't know how many calories I eat in a day. And I don't encourage my clients to do that either, because I, I think, again, it's that very much reductionistic methodology. And what they really need to be thinking about is what food choices do I want to make to keep my insulin levels low? Mm, yeah, that's, that's a much better way to approach it. And we're not denying calories. We do think they matter, but they're not what's most important. They're more of a distraction to your point. The next one is what we eat is more important than when we eat. Why is that not the case? Well, I'm sure you probably have heard uh, there's a, if it fits my macros, I see it a lot on Instagram and it makes me cringe inside on many levels. But when we're eating nutrient dense whole foods, we feel better. We're more clear mentally. We sleep better. Our hormones are better balanced. And so I always suggest that people are conscientious about the food choices that they make. Again, I, you and I are both, you know, animal protein focused, um, non-starchy vegetables, healthy fats. That's really the focus. I'm not anti-carbohydrate, but I do remind people you want to get the bulk of your carbs from non-starchy vegetables. And then depending on who you are, what life stage you're in, then you can add in carbs. But I generally like the kind that are, you know, like a root vegetable or a sweet potato versus rice and grains and bread and pasta and things like that. And the next one goes hand in hand with the, the previous three. Eating small meals throughout the day promotes fat burning and stabilizes blood sugar levels. I get this almost every week, but I need to eat every two to three hours. I will go hypoglycemic. You're going to cause me to go hypoglycemic, but why are you at that point? That's the question. So why is this a bad idea to be snacking throughout the day? Yeah, we wouldn't have survived as a species if that were actually the case. We would have died off many, many years ago 
It's that we haven't given our bodies an, an opportunity to tap into those fat stores to use as a fuel source when we're not eating. So one of the most destructive concepts that I myself used to tell patients and many of my colleagues still do is that you need to eat for meal frequency to stoke your metabolism, to keep your blood sugar stable. And what we've learned and recognized is that we're much better off not evoking an insulin response throughout the day. It should be you eat a meal, you evoke an insulin response, insulin comes back down, your body goes on humming along, utilizing those fat stores for energy. You eat one more meal, maybe you have two meals or three meals during the day. The rest of the time, your insulin levels are nice and flat. What people react to when they're saying, I'm hypoglycemic, I get dizzy, I get hangry, their blood sugar is not properly regulated. There's this very delicate balance within the endocrine system or hormonal regulation system that is evoked when we're properly eating or improperly eating. And I would argue that when we're eating frequently, we are not giving our digestive system time to break down food. We're certainly not in a position where we're going to properly regulate cortisol, which is a stress response. We're not going to properly regulate our sex hormones. You know, we see a lot of men and women, and it's evident that, you know, we get this aromatization of testosterone to estrogen. That's when men start looking more, they look very feminized. And there are women that have high testosterone levels. And so I would make the argument that meal frequency can be hugely problematic for these imbalanced hormones, which are really run contrary to the way our bodies are designed to thrive. And, and like I said, we wouldn't be here as a species if we weren't designed to eat, you know, in this kind of concept of feast and famine. Like you eat it, you go out and you kill something, you don't have, you have food scarcity for a couple of days, maybe you eat bark and berries, then you have another kill and then you eat again. Um, and so our, our bodies are really designed to eat less often and to really optimize our health. We need to follow along with that. Yeah, well said. And if you're somebody who feels like you go hypoglycemic when you skip a snack, adjust your macros first to start lowering those carbs, you know, to really tame insulin, like Cynthia said, and then eventually you could do that and practice more intermittent fasting strategies. So debunk those myths. And I, I wanted to go over that because I think most of my audience understands those four myths because I do talk about them. However, I wanted you to go over it. So now when my audience gets that feedback, negative feedback from their environment, whether it's a Facebook comment or a family member, they know how to respond the same way Cynthia just responded. So rewind that and you could have that in your arsenal. Um, there's a chapter here on you just getting into what intermittent fasting is. And I really love one part of that uh, chapter, which is uh, talking about how fasting helps you burn fat. We, we know fasting does way more than that. But specifically, fasting activates certain key hormones in the body, which increase lipolysis, which is fat burning. But you talk about how fasting can trim belly fat by 4 to 7%. And then you get into the difference between brown fat and white fat. Could you talk about that? Yeah, so brown fat, I mean, we think of fat as being all bad. It's not all bad. So white fat is the inactive kind of, when we think about fat, that's the type of fat we're thinking about. There's not a lot of activity. There's a lot of inflammation, cytokines, et cetera. And then brown fat is fat that has mitochondria. So there's a lot more um, energetic capacity. And so we know that while you're, when you're fasting, you can actually turn white fat, you can beige it into this more metabolically active mitochondrial rich tissue. And, and the other thing about fat that's really interesting, it's in and of itself, it's its own organ. So we think of fat as fat. Fat is far more sophisticated than that. And especially if you're trying to lose fat, you're struggling to lose fat. I remind people that um, one of the benefits of intermittent fasting is that you can help facilitate this beijing of fat that will allow it to be more metabolically active in a beneficial way 
increase the mitochondria, which are the powerhouses of our cell, which I know you talk about quite a bit. And it's a really cool thing that can be processed and be potentiated by intermittent fasting. So I always say to people, one of many benefits that may not be talked about enough is this beijing of, of fat. And the beijing is what we want. We want, it to, we want our fat to be as metabolically active as possible in a positive direction, not in the negative direction where it's inflammatory and you know, its own kind of endocrine organ in and of itself. But we want to have this, this transitional fat that can be, you know, eventually can be in a position where it's helping us burn more calories. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, and the white fat is that nasty fat around our love handles and our mm -hmm. organs. It's that visceral fat that leads to problems. So we want to be able to turn that beige and then brown fat. And you mentioned in the book, it's, you know, babies are full of brown fat. That's why babies don't shiver because they have a lot of, of brown fat. You also talk about uh, gifts that were unexpected from fasting, which I love how it really like the freedom that it creates. Could you share that? Because I think that's a benefit that a lot of people are not aware of until they start practicing it and they, and they see, oh my gosh, like this is giving me such freedom in my life. Yeah. Well, and I think just down to the level of not being focused on food because you're not thinking about your next meal. I mean, which is not to yeah. suggest you and I don't enjoy food because we do, but when you're not having to prep as many meals every day, you're not thinking about, you know, your next food fix. There's a lot of food freedom. I also think one of the things that I love about fasting, even longer fasts, is just the spiritual side of fasting. That's why it's incorporated into all the major religions, that there's some type of fasting component to you know, great, connecting you to a greater purpose, connecting you to nature, et cetera. You know, on so many levels, there's so much more to fasting. I think people think about it just changing body composition or weight loss. And yet it's a profound connection where you get very clear about what's most important to you, whether it's connecting with your loved ones, connecting with nature, connecting spiritually, acknowledging that you don't have to be tethered to the refrigerator. I mean, I laugh when I think about when I was rounding in the hospital or seeing patients in clinic, and I would literally prep my meals the night before, like, okay, I'm going to the gym, so I need to have a protein shake before I go, and I need a protein shake after, and then I need a meal, like when I get to the hospital, and then I need a meal mid-morning, and then I need something at lunch. I mean, it makes me laugh because my life is so much less complicated now. It's like, I know I break my fast at a certain time. I know I need another meal. My whole day is not fixated around containers of Pyrex and trying to do all this meal prep. It's so much simpler. And I think for a lot of people, that's incredibly freeing just to not have to worry quite so much. I mean, I think about when my children were younger, as an example, and I have all boys and yes, when they're children and they're really young and their metabolisms are like hummingbirds, you can feed them a big meal and then they're hungry two hours later, but it's very different. They're growing. We don't need snacks. And so I remind people like when we're in the airport or we're traveling, it's a great opportunity just to fast a little longer. We don't have to be carrying around a package of stuff because we're fearful that we're not going to have access to food. There's an overabundance of access to food just about anywhere you go. Think about every gas station you go to or you're on the highway and you stop off and there's like five fast food restaurants everywhere you go it's just it's an over accessibility of food and so fasting in many ways just kind of it's like you get a clean slate every day there's also fast food available from our body fat right that's why we have stored energy and, and you're so right when i travel i don't want to be eating toxic airplane food airport food so when you're metabolically flexible which is what you teach how to do in your book you could go throughout the airport, on the airplane, get to your destination without eating anything and feel great. And you didn't do any damage to yourself. Plus, if you think about it, 
if you're eating on an airplane, which I see all the time, and I'm always saying, no, 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 to the stewardess, no, 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 to a flight attendant, uh, I don't need the snack, I don't need the food, but everybody else is eating. But think about being on an airplane is already inflammatory. It's like a flying microwave. And if you're eating on the plane, drinking alcohol, you have to take a lot of energy and resources to process the meal instead of dealing with all the inflammatory stuff going on from being on the airplane. But if you're fasted, you could use all that to help with the inflammatory response from being on that plane. I want to take a quick break here to share with you about the dangers of taking fish oil. I know, shocking. I was somebody who took fish oil every single day for years. And then I came across a ton of research showing the dangers of consuming fish oil. I immediately found an amazing product called Pureform. Pureform is a plant-based omega. And the cool thing about Pureform is that it is uniquely processed with nitrogen to preserve it and make sure it does not oxidize. These essential fatty acids are cold pressed and you get the proper balance of omega-6 and omega-3 to feed your cells what it desires. We know that life begins and ends at the cell membrane. And when you have the proper fats, the building blocks for those cell membranes, all of a sudden your fat burning hormones can do its job. So you lose weight. All of a sudden your cells produce energy. So you feel good. So we know that cellular health is key for performance and longevity. So I've been taking Pureform every single day. My dog takes it every single day. So does my girlfriend and my mom. This is how much I love the product. If you want to get your bottle delivered to your door, head over to purelifescience.com. Check them out. Order a bottle or two and you'll be amazed by how you feel after taking this just after a few days. That is purelifescience.com. Use the coupon code BEN4 to apply a $4 off coupon. That is BEN, B-E-N, and the number four. International shipping is available. Okay, let's go back into this episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. So do you find that you fast typically when you go on a, on a flight? I do. Uh, a lot of it has to do with the fact that there aren't many things available to me in most airports. That's number one. So I always care for full transparency. People always ask, like, what do you bring on trips? And so I always bring like electrolytes. I always bring uh, beef jerky and macadamia nuts, which it's become an ongoing joke. My kids just laugh every time we go anywhere. I'm like, but if I do actually get stuck somewhere and I don't have any options, at least I have these but I don't feel like I need to have protein bars. I don't feel like I need to have a lot of stuff with me. It's just, it's a kind of get out of jail card free. Like if I get stuck somewhere and there are no options, which does happen very infrequently. Although I will say when we were flying back from a trip in September, the airport we had had amazing options. And my husband and I sat down and had these massive salads and they were delicious and so flavorful. We were outside the United States. So I'll just be clear, we weren't in the United States. <laughs> but I think it's really important for people to understand that most of the options that are available to you on a conventional airplane, unless you're flying first class, and maybe even then you're not getting a lot of great options. It's usually seed oil laden, carbohydrate laden, highly processed junk, even those boxes. I was actually having a conversation with the airline stores last time I flew. And I just said, what do people do when they don't have any other options? And she's like, I guess they just don't eat. And I said, well, that's probably a better option than most of what's in these boxes. It's just a box of crap is usually what I say respectfully. So yeah, I, I think it's a good practice to get into that when you travel, like take the stress off yourself. What I find is more often than not, if I'm in, 
you know, a decent airport, I can get a burger, a naked burger. I can get a salad. That's usually the direction I go in. You know, if I'm really feeling like I'm starving, I think Denver airport had a decent burger place. And I think the stewardess just, or not the stewardess, the waitress was humor that I said, okay, naked burger. And she's like, you don't want a bun. I was like, I don't want a bun. You don't want fries. I don't want fries. Just give me like a tomato and some lettuce and I'll be happy. And so I was like completely, and I think I asked for bacon. Uh, so it's one of those things where, you know, more often than not, if you are in a position where you can have a little bit of flexibility and you, and you want to eat, go for the meal that is the least processed, the, mo- the thing that is least processed, less likely to be in a box, a bag or a can, you're going to be much better off. Or I just drink a lot of water. That's I hydrate like crazy. I drink electrolytes. I think that's important. I drink green tea. Um, I'm not a coffee drinker, which makes me a weirdo. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, I, I drink green tea usually everywhere I go, but it, use it as an opportunity for your body. As you said, go into those fat stores, use it some stored energy. You know, we're just coming out off the holidays. I'm sure all of us probably have a pound or two we'd like to get rid of. Um, allow your body to, to go in and use that as a stored source of energy, as opposed to making not such a great food choice when you're traveling. Yeah, it's a great tip. If you're going to eat at the airport, do what Cynthia did. Get a burger, you know, without, without the bun, get the lettuce, tomato, some bacon. If you get that burger grilled instead of, you know, fried, even better, which you typically can. I've had those conversations with waiters and waitresses so many times. Like, you don't want the fries. You don't want the bun. It's like over and over and over. It's like, no, that, you know, I don't want the bad stuff. I want the good stuff. So that's a great tip right there. Um, in your book, page 23, I'm looking at right here, the three master hormones. I, I love this. So the hormonal orchestra has three conductors leading the performance, insulin, cortisol, and oxytocin. Let's talk about these three hormones. Yeah, you know, I think oxytocin is really an underappreciated hormone. And and I always think about our friend, Dr. Anna Kabeca, who has been so instrumental in allowing me the opportunity to really consider how important oxytocin is. So oxytocin is this bonding hormone. It's an intimacy hormone. You know, when we hug our dog, hug our significant other, have sex, do something joyful, something that we love, uh, we want to have oxytocin throughout our day. Oxytocin is is an instant kind of de-stressor hormone. And when we're not getting enough of it, it we, we feel it for sure. And so I always think about it as like a stress relieving hormone, things that bring us joy, things that relax us. When a woman breastfeeds her baby, when, you know, someone has an orgasm, either with a partner or by themselves, no judgment. Um, really important for people just to think about the fact that oxytocin, when it's released, it's kind of a use it or lose it hormone, meaning it doesn't hang around for a long time. So you want to be doing things throughout your day. That's why my dogs get a lot of hugs because um, I have teenage boys now. Yeah, I get like the bro hug from my kids, but I always tell them they will always hug me before they go to bed. Um, obviously, hug my husband every day, but doing things throughout the day that will evoke a little bit of oxytocin can go a long way. And then we think about, you know, I know you talk a lot about insulin. Insulin, unfortunately, gets a really bad rap. Insulin is so, so important. We, we don't want to become insulin resistant. One of the ways that we can uh, you know, decrease our likelihood of being insulin resistant is not to eat so frequently. You know, definitely to eat a more nutrient-dense whole food diet, you know, more protein, healthy fats, less processed carbohydrates for sure. And then cortisol is another hormone that gets a really bad rap. But Think about it this way, you know, most of us in this very hedonistic culture that we live in, we have accessibility to everything, any time of the day. And so I remind people, you have to set up boundaries. You have to say, no, you need to prioritize sleep. You need to, you know, really limit the inflammatory foods that are out there because things that drive up cortisol chronically 
are not necessarily good for us. And, and a lot of that can feed into that insulin, oxytocin paradigm if we're not properly you know, f- fueling our bodies, addressing stress. And I, I think the last two years have certainly shown many of us that you know we live in this sympathetic dominant state where our body thinks we're running a marathon, cortisol's up and over time it gets depleted. But when cortisol's up, it dysregulates insulin, it impacts our sleep and impacts gut immunity. I mean, all things that I know your listeners are probably already really savvy with. So I don't want to say mastering our bodies, but mastering, balancing these hormones is critically important for metabolic health. It's critically important for our mental health. Uh, I was telling Ben before we started recording that I had two nights last week where I had terrible sleep. And so the first thing I did after the first night was looked at my continuous glucose monitor. My blood sugar is normally pristinely controlled and my blood sugar was running 10 to 15 points higher than it normally Mm. does. My aura ring data was off. And so I said, okay, I'm going to work very diligently today and making sure that I don't have a reoccurrence. And we know just like one night of poor sleep can you know, reduce our likelihood to control our blood sugar for one, just for like one day, but then we don't make good food choices. Then we're eating more frequently. Then we're eating out of stress. And when cortisol's up, as one example, we crave carbohydrates. Our body's looking for a, you know, a quick fuel source. So I always remind people that, you know, really making sure that we can help balance those hormones and have a very strategic way of looking at our mental health. I know Ben gets up and, and expresses gratitude in the morning. If you watches Insta stories. I see it every morning. He's got, you know, a beautiful picture outside. He's got, you know, some type of quote or, you know, representation of something that he's working on. And I just think it's really important for us to simplify things, create more boundaries so that we can keep those hormones better balanced. And that's not woo-woo. This is just science. This is really, if you look at the research, the people that are most hormonally balanced are the people that are working very diligently at all these things. It's not just one thing. It's all the things and it's little things we do throughout our day that really make a big difference. Well said. And I know it's even more important when you are postmenopausal, which you talk about in the book, to really pay attention to cortisol because when those ovaries shut down, as you teach, the adrenals pick up the slack. So you talk about like yoga, meditation, and some other things you can do. There's also a section here, which I found interesting about oxytocin. And uh, you've mentioned kind of signs of low oxytocin. I want to read them just in case somebody listening or watching might be resonating with what we're sharing here. So here are some signs of low oxytocin in your book. Little or no pleasure in sex, inability to attach in relationships, no interest in social interaction, a feeling of being stressed out on an ongoing basis, depression and anxiety. So if you're experiencing one or, or any of these, simple fixes are hug your dog, watch a funny movie, watch a comedian on TV, do things that you enjoy. Vitamin G, practicing gratitude. These are things that you strategically do throughout your day. And all of a sudden you get adequate amounts of oxytocin, which battles, I shouldn't say battle, oxytocin uh, counteracts high levels of cortisol and stress. So please don't underestimate the value of getting these oxytocin boosts. I love that you talk about it in the book. Yeah, no, I think, you know, there's so many things that come together, you know, it's dopamine, it's serotonin. So these neurotransmitters, these hormones, you know, our body takes in all of this sensory information outside of our ourselves. And so it's, it's really, really important that we're diligent. Ben and I aren't talking about making things complicated for yourself, but really understanding that, you know, we are very complex microorganisms as human beings, but Women in, in north of 35, all of a sudden, the, the playing field starts to shift and change. And so 
it becomes even more critically important that you're doing all of the the restorative things. You know, Ben mentioned yoga. I talk a lot in the book about you know anti-inflammatory nutrition and sleep quality, and it really becomes hugely impactful because we don't weather stress the same as we did at 20, 25, or 30 as we get older. And I, I would actually make the argument that women in perimenopause, the five to 10 years preceding menopause, it's a litmus test of how well you're taking care of yourself. And at the very beginning of the book, I talk about how I hit the wall. I thought I was doing all the right things. I was doing all the wrong things, even as a clinician. And so I like to remind women, I don't want you to go through what I went through. So, you know, use this as an opportunity to ensure that you are finding proper balance. I know balance is an elusive word, an elusive concept, but finding some degree of balance in your lifestyle. And I have a couple of women as one example, you know, they're very busy demanding jobs. They've got kids, they've got a spouse, they've got aging parents, and they carve little rituals out a couple of times a day. Maybe it's five minutes in the morning, five minutes around lunchtime, five minutes before they go to bed. It doesn't have to be complicated. Um, it really is so, so important to find ways to honor you and create a little bit of boundary and space so that, you know, the to-do list is not so overwhelming that you can't see straight. You know, I know we talk a lot about, you know, the amygdala and how when we're really stressed out, it overrides the prefrontal cortex. And that's when men and women will say like, I just can't think straight. Well, that is a biological response to stress. And so when you start feeling that way, you need to have strategies in place so that you can kind of calm your mind, calm your, you know, for me, it's a lot of breathing, a lot of breath work um, seems to be most effective getting out in nature, you know, things that those are two things that don't cost anything, get light exposure in the morning, all really, really helpful to help kind of quiet that lizard brain. Unfortunately, the amygdala is kind of the lizard brain so that it overrides all of our ability to make good decisions and, you know, overriding executive function. You're not going to be able to sit down and do your taxes your body's like focused on like the next thing and then the next thing and then the next thing. Yeah, yeah, well said. The the number one priority for the human body, the innate intelligence is survival, right? So if you're in a stressful environment, and stress comes from mental, emotional, physical, and chemical, any of those will take blood flow away from that prefrontal cortex. Mm -hmm. That's the area that you make decisions, critical thinking, and it delivers mm -hmm. blood flow to the amygdala. Now you're fight or flight and you're craving sugar and you your brain wants this hit of glucose and you're yep. making bad decisions. So I love that. Let's get into now, you know, the book's about fasting. So let's get into the specifics on intermittent fasting for women. Well, starting with the women who have a menstrual cycle. In your book, you have different phases of cycling. So let's get into that. Let's start with the follicular phase. What exactly is that for those who don't know? And how could you, how should you, how do you teach it in the book, your fasting schedule and eating schedule when you're in these certain phases during the menstrual cycle? Well, I love that as a man, you are, you know, honoring your community and making sure that women have good information because women can't fast the same way that men do. So the follicular phase starts from the, your very first day of your bleeding cycle all the way up until ovulation. So the follicular phase is when estrogen, and this is an oversimplification, predominates. And so when estrogen predominates, you have a lot of energy, you feel really good. This is when you can push your workouts. This is when you have a lot more insulin sensitivity, so you can have a lot more flexibility with your nutrition plan. It also means you can do longer fasts. You can do varying types of fasts. You can be a little bit flexible in terms of when you are fasting and when you're not fasting versus after ovulation is predominantly the luteal phase where progesterone predominates. And progesterone is a wonderful hormone, much like estrogen, but they need to be in balance with one another. And so progesterone is kind of like the mellow sister. This is the part of your menstrual cycle where 
you know, yoga, more restorative practices is going to be better. You don't fast quite as long in the luteal phase and certainly not the five to seven days preceding your menstrual cycle. And this blows a lot of people's minds, but I'll have women send me text messages saying, why can't I get to like 15 hours? I'm dying. I can't get to 15 hours. And I'll say, where are you in your menstrual cycle? Oh, I'm due in two days. So really giving your body the opportunity to back off on fasting the five to seven days. We always talk about fasting as being a hormetic stressor the right amount of stress in the right amount at the right time. And this is a time not to add stress to the body. It's also a time you can add a little bit more carbohydrate in your diet. I'm not talking about crappy carbs. I'm not talking about ice cream and cookies. I'm talking about like squash or some sweet potato in small amounts. And especially if you are perimenopausal, because we don't, you know, it's not to suggest carbohydrates are bad, but the more metabolically flexible you are, the more carbohydrate you can tolerate but I just find women as they're making this transitional into menopause, eventually smaller portions of carbohydrates, the right types of carbohydrates, which means the unprocessed variety. So just in a nutshell, less insulin sensitivity in the in that progesterone dominant phase, luteal phase, not as much fasting, not as much intense exercise, a little bit more carbohydrate, but not a lot. Could be a small portion, like third of a cup, quarter of a cup, which is not a lot. And then once you start bleeding, you can go back to doing longer fasts again. But you know, 12 to 13 hours of digestive rest, which is what I like to call it, is completely appropriate in that five to seven day window preceding your cycle. And I find that most women do really well with that. They actually feel better, they sleep better, because progesterone, when it's starting to wax and wane right before you're before you start bleeding, is a time when people start having sleep disturbances, they might get headaches, starting really vivid dreams. And so that might be an opportunity to also, you know, su- support progesterone in the body. Um, if that's an option for you, there's, there's so many ways to do that, but certainly you want to be, you know, touching base with your healthcare professional. If you, if you're concerned that maybe your progesterone levels are a little too low, that's for people who got like really debilitating PMS, um, or even the really severe form of that called PMDD. So it's this, uh, premenstrual, uh, dysmorphic disorder, which for a lot of people can be just debilitating symptoms, like taking PMS and times it times a hundred. Mm. Yeah, that doesn't sound fun. No. You're in, in the book, by the way, this chapter that I'm referring to, it's a chapter for how women sh- who have a menstrual cycle should do this on a week-by-week breakdown. You, you suggest specific foods, fasting windows. So it's it's a complete blueprint here. Now, what about perimenopause? As you're making that transition from different stages of life, how should they follow this approach? Yeah, so I, I think first and foremost, and I'll say this about any woman at any stage, if you're not sleeping through the night, do not add intermittent fasting. That's like my full mm. stop. And for so men, women, and for men, by the way. Yes, that includes both <laughs> genders. If you're not sleeping through the night, please, please, please do not add an intermittent fast. Remember, we talked about hormetic stress. You know, the right amount of stress at the right time can be hugely impactful. It can also be detrimental if it's not at the right time and it's too stressful. So when I think about perimenopause, I think it's really a litmus test of how well you're taking care of yourself heading into menopause. So the questions are always, what's your sleep quality like? How do you manage your stress? Are you over-exercising? Are you consuming these highly inflammatory foods? Are you eating a lot of gluten and grains and dairy? And let me a little caveat I'm going to sneak in and say, very bio-individual. I see a lot of people who don't tolerate gluten, but they do okay with like sheep or goat's milk dairy and vice versa. Really depends on the individual. But if you have an autoimmune disorder, if you have lupus, you have uh, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, you have celiac, you should not be doing gluten and you should not be doing dairy anyway. Um, really being mindful of soy, being mindful of processed sugars, 
alcohol is another one. Uh, what a lot of women don't realize, and, and I, there's a huge wine culture, certainly the city I just left, there was this mommy drinking culture, which was fascinating and also a little bit disturbing. And I'm not anti-alcohol. I'm just making the point of saying for a lot of women, their glass of wine at night or their mixed drink at night is their way of decompressing from their day. And no one's going to criticize you for that. But what alcohol will do is that it will dysregulate melatonin secretion. So that's one of the hormones that tells your body it's time to go to bed. Again, an oversimplification. It increases cortisol, which tells your body to stay awake. And then it messes up your blood sugar. So it creates this blood sugar dysregulation. So you're not going to make good food choices when you're drinking alcohol without question. You're not going to sleep well. Um, for a lot of women, it's the only time they get hot flashes. It's the only time I got hot flashes was when I drank alcohol, which for me was like, sleep is too important. Therefore, I don't drink alcohol. That was just what mm. works for me. Um, everyone has to decide for themselves. But removing those inflammatory foods and kind of experimenting to see what works well for you is important. And then lastly, we know women that get hot flashes and perimenopause and the menopause, it's almost always associated with blood sugar dysregulation. So I really like women at this stage and into menopause to really know what their blood sugars are doing. Get, you know, get the right labs done, but wearing a continuous glucose monitor or even checking your blood sugar with a glucometer is incredibly impactful. You know, there are a lot of people out there, you and I have talked about this, that believe that you have to wait till you're insulin resistant or diabetic. And I would be the first person to say that metabolically healthy people should know exactly what their blood sugar, how it reacts to stress and sleep and nutrition. Um, I'll give you an example. I've been gluten grains and dairy free for a long time. I'm in a happy place. It's not, it's not a problem for me to do that, but certain types of carbohydrates have a larger net impact on my blood sugar than others. The example are plantains. I love plantains. Plantains don't like me. It doesn't matter how I eat them. They're never sweet plantains. It's like starchy kind of, I like them with salt. They spike my blood sugar to like 160. Nothing does that. My blood sugar is really rock solid stable because of my diet. And so I think the last piece of that is really, you know, looking at the lifestyle pieces, but also being very cognizant of how nutrition, sleep, stress, exercise impact your blood sugar in non-beneficial ways. I think that is a really helpful way to get people really honest. I know that for many people, it's very triggering to say, don't eat this, don't eat that. And I would say, listen, if you feel like you want to do an N of one, you want to you know, sample, try things out, go for it. But I find most women in that middle age timeframe do not do well with those inflammatory foods. And when they start pulling them out, you and I see examples of this all the time, women and men who are losing lots of weight because they're removing these inflammatory foods. They didn't realize how inflamed their bodies were. And so perimenopause is the start of this five to 10 years preceding menopause when the game changes. The things I was able to do in my 20s and 30s, totally different in my 40s. It was very humbling, very, very humbling. But now I'm on the other side. And so I can look back objectively and say, avoid the mistakes I made, learn from the mistakes I made so that you can make better choices so you can avoid some of the pitfalls I myself dealt with. Mm, so important. Uh, and we'll talk about the what you just said, the other side, right? You're referring to postmenopause. If you're anything like me, you spend a lot of money on supplements each month. Have you ever thought these supplements are actually working for you? Are they attaching to your receptor sites and helping your cells do a specific job? What if you're not getting enough minerals? Or what if you have too much of something creating an imbalance in other minerals? Knowing this, will not only save you money, but it'll also improve your health so you could balance out the vitamins and minerals that you really need. With that being said, how the heck do you know 
if you have a mineral imbalance. What I'm bringing you today is a chance to accurately test all of that at the comfort of your home. In this case, I'm talking about my friends over at Upgraded Formulas and their upgraded hair test kit and consultation. When you discover the truth here and what's going on with your body, you can vanquish any of those hidden deficiencies that are affecting your metabolism, thyroid, adrenals, mental performance, endurance, strength, and sleep, just to name a few. I've had Barton Scott on the show before and he gave a masterclass on minerals. How this works is simple. You are sent a test kit and you use some of your hair. You just cut off a short piece of your hair. It could be on your head or pubic hair. You send it back to them and they have your results. They also offer a consultation to go over your results with you. It's simple, it's effective, and it's one of the best tests to know if what you're doing is working for you or not. If you'd like to get your hands on their deficiency test and consultation, head to upgradedformulas.com. Use the coupon code KETOCAMP15 to receive 15% off your entire order. That is upgradedformulas.com. Use the coupon code KETOCAMP15 at checkout. We'll also drop a link down below. Real quick on plantains. I was just in Mexico <laughs> at Tulum a few days ago, and I, there was an amazing restaurant there called The Real Coconut, and they had these incredible plantain pancakes, which would not be good for you, but <laughs> it was amazing. But I didn't wear a CGM. I don't know what it did to my glucose, but when you wear a CGM or, or check your glucose, you could eat these certain foods, even though they might be healthy for one person, they might spike up your glucose to your point, 160 is higher than what you would want from a meal. And, and a plantain is considered a healthy car, but for you, it was not. But I, I could eat a pineapple, I could eat a banana, I could eat right. squash, and I'm fine, which makes zero sense to me, like completely zero sense. But by individuality, which is why I encourage people to, you know, look at the, the data objectively. Like we can talk about the foods we know that don't work well for us, and one of the, you know, one of the concepts that I learned through Marty Kendall was, you know, really looking at, at continuous glucose monitors or glucometers and looking at like when your blood sugar goes up by more than 25, 30 points, it's a sign you've had too much carbohydrate. And so I kind of incorporated, you know, that methodology into a lot of the teaching that I do. And, you know, for me, I think it's certainly really, it's indicative, you know, that's when I say to people like, listen, it's okay. You know, you had a celebration, you had a glass of wine, you, you know, maybe you had some pasta and then you look at your blood sugar and you go, wow, well, okay, that didn't work for me. And then, you know, you can decide for yourself if you want to continue eating that food or if it doesn't serve you to continue eating that food and find a substitution. Yeah, I think it's great. It holds people accountable. It shows you the data and you can make a decision if you're okay with that or if you want to make a change. And, and to your point about the alcohol, I don't personally drink. I haven't had alcohol in uh, six years now, actually. But if you do drink alcohol, especially before bed, or you eat a meal before bed, whether it's a keto-friendly meal or a high glycemic meal, you're going to spike glucose, obviously, alcohol and food. But if you go to sleep after you just eat, I found out recently that when you're sleeping, of course, you're producing melatonin. But when you have high glucose and high melatonin at the same time, it actually shuts down the pancreas's ability to produce enough insulin, which keeps your blood sugars high, which wakes you up at 2 a.m., 3 a.m., and the liver, the cortisol goes up and the liver starts freaking out. So it really impacts your sleep. So if you feel like that's you, you have that, that challenge right now, maybe you could try something else, make a change, try an organic wine instead of the regular wine. 
uh, figure things out is what you're saying. And I love how you teach. You're not just teaching it to the postmenopausal ladies, which I know is a large majority of your audience, but also the cycling women out there, like my fiance. You know, it's important to get this information now because eventually you're going to go through perimenopause. Eventually, you're going to go through menopause. And if you could do the things now, that transition could be such a, a lovely, amazing transition. Would you agree? Would you agree? It's important for those who have 30 years old to start implementing this right now. Absolutely. Because on, on so many levels, I think there's been so much misinformation for so long. And I, I feel like maybe my generation is really going to change the way, pave the way so that women aren't so fearful. I think there's so much fear and shame about aging. I think we're in a culture that that's very focused on filters on every social media channel and just discomfort with signs of aging, whether it's lines on a face or maybe you've got gray hair or you know, maybe you've got fat in a place you didn't have it before. And so I think it's really important to serve as an example to younger women that you can absolutely integrate, you know, a concept like fasting into your lifestyle. Obviously, younger women, lean younger women have to do things differently than postmenopausal obese women. And, and a lot of the research that's out there is really focused on lab animals and postmenopausal women and men. And so I always like to say, you know, I, I would really love to see some long, like long-term longitudinal studies really looking at the impact of fasting uh, beneficially or otherwise on women's health. But, you know, you think about how many young women are impacted by PCOS or infertility, and you look at all these women that are insulin resistant and really struggling. And so, you know, to me, there's a lot of value in being able to teach this information and to be able to share it in a way that's accessible. I think I really struggled in the book because I'm sure you probably did as well. There's a lot of the science behind all this that we know a lot about, but you don't want to make it so high level that the average person can't pick it up and read it and understand it. And so finding that that perfect kind of orchestrated balance and making the information accessible, making it so that people are then encouraged to you know, want to do better for themselves, to have actionable steps, to break it down so that, you know, it, it's not like they have to, you know, sit down and take like five pages of notes to figure out what they need to be doing. But to have, you know, a tool, a reference piece in a book was really the intention. And, and so I, I feel, I feel great. Like if your fiance can look at the book and feel like, okay, I know what I need to be thinking about when I get to 35, at least you know, when I start seeing some of these changes and some of them are imperceptible, you know, in your early to mid thirties to late thirties, you may not even recognize that your body is producing less progesterone. Maybe you're not ovulating every month, but into your early forties, that's usually when women start to notice a change and they just say, Oh, I'm so I'm tired. My sleep isn't as good. And before you know it, you're down that rabbit hole trying to figure out what in the world is going on, but we need to, we need to start the conversation. We need to talk about it. So that there's not so much misinformation that's out there. You know, I feel like in many ways there's a lot of focus on, you know, contraception and pregnancy and the postpartum period. And then it's kind of like this mystifying middle-aged women. We don't really know what to do with them. So we kind of put them out to pasture. And there was a really great podcast I listened to recently. And there was an oncologist, a, a physician who was talking to Peter Atia, and he said, no man would put up with what women have had to put up with through navigating middle age. And I thought that was very telling. Here is this male physician saying that, you know, the way women have been treated, not just with regard to cancer treatment, but just navigating the changes with middle age, the average man would never put up with the lack of support that women have gotten. So I thought that was incredibly telling. 
um, especially given the the context of the conversation he was having. Yeah, I think we we need that paradigm shift because you, you're right. When we look at just entertainment and, and Instagram and social media, the, the general thought is that aging is not good. It's like it's you avoid anything to not look like you're getting older, but it's such a natural, beautiful process and it's required to live on planet Earth. I mean, the alternative is not living. We don't want that. Of course, you could do things like Botox and all that, but I think that adds more fuel to the fire. For example, I don't know if you watched the show Sex in the City, right? Yes. Uh, do, do you watch the current one? Or are you watching the current show? There's a, I, there's a new not, one. Okay. I'm not because I didn't enjoy the movies. You know, I watched, okay. <laughs> um, I watched Sex in the City when I was, you know, in my late twenties and I enjoyed it then, but I, I've gotten, it's interesting. It's fascinating. The whole, all the comments I've heard about the, the new iteration, but go ahead. Yeah. So I've never seen any of them, any of the episodes or any of the movies, but now there's a new uh, uh, season and my fiance wants to watch it. And she's like, watch it with me. So I've been watching, we're all caught up. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because there's an episode where uh, Carrie, I think her name is Carrie, takes her friend, her male friend to go get a facelift and some Botox. And the, the doctor is looking at Carrie saying, uh, you know, I could do this to you. I could do... And he put her on the screen and showed what he can do to manipulate her face. And, and she felt old, older and felt awful just because of the fact that he said he could change her face. But mm-hmm. like that is a perfect example of what we don't want to do. So as I share that, because we're going to talk about the ladies who are going through postmenopause, why is it such a beautiful transition? And in your book, how could you apply fasting, keto? What are specific things that the postmenopausal woman should pay attention to at this point? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the beautiful thing about middle age is that you're much more confident. You are less of a people pleaser. I know for myself personally, I'm a reformed people pleaser. I have no problems putting up boundaries. I, I just think on so many levels, it's when women really grow into the people they're meant to be on so many levels. So I think what really happens for a lot of women in this menopausal transition is they figure out like, are you happy where you are in time and space? Are you happy in your marriage? Are you happy? your occupation? Are you happy um, with where you are physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally? A lot of women aren't. I mean, I've got girlfriends who in the midst of the pandemic have gotten divorced, have moved, um, have, you know, changed careers. I mean, I I think it's a big shift. I think for a lot of people, they figure out like, I'm happy where I am and I want to be grateful or I'm not happy where I am. I need to make a change. So I, I think that's part of it. I do think fasting for women at this stage can be particularly beneficial because they don't have to worry about a menstrual cycle. Our hormones aren't fluctuating as much as they were when we were at peak fertility years and certainly not in perimenopause. So this is where I think men and women, postmenopausal women and men are kind of at a level playing field in the sense that there isn't as much hormonal fluctuation. Therefore, women can really capitalize on fasting and, you know, they have to dial on the sleep piece first. Once you get your sleep dialed in, then we can really get deliberate about a low carbohydrate ketogenic diet, if that's appropriate for you, or carnivore-ish, which is what I think I tend to lean more towards. Finding what works best for you, getting satiated with your meals so that you're really setting yourself up for success, that you aren't hungry in between meals, that you, you know, get from dinner from, you know, the evening before to the next, you know, mid-morning without eating, not having, not feeling the need to snack in the evening, not feeling the need to have excessive amounts of alcohol, Um, just really focusing on taking care of yourself because women spend 40% of their lifetime in menopause, 40%. But a hundred years ago, the average woman, the average like life expectancy was 47. 
Wow. And now, you know, looking retrospectively, the average age of menopause here in the United States is 51. So if women spend 40% of their lifetime in menopause, don't we want that time to be amazing? I think people forget about that. I think they kind of think they hit menopause and then their life is over. They're not attractive. They're not interesting. What I find is most women find it really freeing. They don't worry about pregnancy. They don't have to worry about getting a monthly cycle every month. Like I said, they speak their mind. They're much more confident. They decide for themselves what works best. And I, I think in many ways, I look very differently at women. I come from a, a family of very strong women, but I look at like my grandmothers, obviously they're now deceased, but I look at my grandmothers and I think, wow, they were really ahead of their time in terms of you know, really demonstrating for me and my cousins and my, you know, my mom and my sisters or my mom's sisters, my aunts, uh, how women can live their lives. But I, I think each one of each generation is doing a better job of advocating for themselves and taking care of themselves. Like I was looking at a photo. I think it was a good example is the Sex and the City iteration that's out now and the Golden Girls. And they were saying they were all the same age as in these photos. And the Golden Girls look like older women versus the Sex and the City iteration that's out now. The women still look great. They look like older versions of themselves, but they're much more stylish. They they look like they're making a bigger effort to do what works best for them. How's that? You know, they can still be stylish. They can still be fun. They can still have beautiful long hair if they choose to have that. But really honoring who you are in time and space, I think is so, so important. Yeah, beautifully said. And you do a great job at really empowering women of all ages. And, and I love that. As we wrap up the conversation, share where they could get your book, The Intermittent Fasting Transformation. Yeah, Intermittent Fasting Transformation. So you can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, as well as your local retailer. You can also check it out on my website. I'm really, really proud of this book. I, I think it's the it's going to be the textbook or the book for women in fasting. And I hope that it will be as helpful for men and women that purchase it for themselves or for loved ones as much as it's been for the thousands of women I've had the honor of working with. Yeah, it's an amazing book. So everybody go get it. We're going to drop links down below. The episode, this episode's coming out on March 7th. That's today. But the book is actually officially released March 15th. But you could pre-order it right now. And it's going to be available on Audible. And Cynthia actually read the book herself. So that's pretty cool. Uh, men and women should get this book. Men... You could always buy it for a, a female in your life, or you could read it yourself like I did and understand the woman in your life better. And that's going to just have, you're going to have better relationships with those females. So Cynthia, thank you for your amazing work, what you're doing in the world, empowering so many people out there. It's always a pleasure and an honor to have these conversations with you. And I know we're going to be sharing some stages this year. And I just look forward to all the great things we will continue to do together. And thank you for episode number four that we recorded today. <laughs> Thank you, Ben. It's a pleasure always to connect with your community. And, and likewise, I am very, very grateful for your friendship. I look forward to continued collaborations and, and knowing that I'll be able to see you throughout the year. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Cynthia Thurlow. She's amazing. I always love having a conversation with her. And our audiences both love it when we get together. Go get her book. It's available for pre-order right now. We're going to put links for her books down below, whether you want to get it for Kindle, for paperback on Audible. I'm also going to put her podcast link down below. The previous episodes we've done with her, we have three previous episodes. If you didn't listen to those, go listen to them. We're going to link them down below. Her website is CynthiaThurlow.com. We'll put her Instagram or 
all of our social media can be found down below. Please consider sharing this with somebody you know, a woman who is practicing fasting. This is going to help them maximize their fasting results and work with their physiology instead of working against it. So copy and paste the link, text it to a friend and say, hey, I think you're going to really enjoy this conversation. And maybe you'll take a screenshot of this on your phone right now and tag me and Cynthia Thurlow on Instagram on your stories. And when I see it, I'll share it as well. Please leave the Keto Camp Podcast a rating and review on Apple Podcast if you haven't done so already. It really helps the show grow, helps us reach more lives and reach more people. Thank you so much for listening to the entire episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. I will see you on the next one. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.